Good evening, folks. Welcome back to the podcast to be named later, home of your now first place Tampa Bay Rays. It looks like that the Royals Woo. are going to hold on to this 11 to 4 lead. So, uh, you know, kind of good to record this as a first place team after being a one and eight team uh, and then playing some 750 balls since. So, you know, welcome back to everybody here. We've got Kevin Gengler, Bradley Woodrum, and Steve Slavinsky on with us tonight. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Doing good. Doing well. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, it definitely helps. Uh, you know, every week, last week we talked about it. It was one of the good things, and the the, you know, the teams keeps winning. And we're coming off a road trip now. They were five and one. Uh, the only loss was a game that Andy Sonnenstein pitched. Uh, and you know, I, I think we are, are universally our our opinions of Andy Sonnenstein starting another game is are not favorable. Uh, you know, I myself am not looking forward to him pitching on Sunday against Baltimore. I know it's a small sample size, but um, Baltimore is a team that has traditionally hit him around very well. And most of us will, you know, can't forget that spring training game when it seems like everybody had hit a home run off him in the first inning. Um, oh. But, you know, to come off a road trip to play Baltimore for three and then to go to Cleveland that's lost one home game all year before the series started uh, and to take two of three from them, I say it's a pretty damn good road trip. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not as... Uh against Andy Sonnenstein getting another shot. I feel like it's not like, uh, well, I mean, his velocity was down a little bit, but I mean, if he can just find his location, he, he he can be serviceable. But I mean, if it turns out that Jeff Neiman is is out for a while, then I don't know. We we might really need to start thinking about having Todd back up or something well, else more long term. How confident are we that Sonnenstein can find his location? He hasn't been... He hasn't been the strike throwing machine that he was since like yeah. you know you know I'll, I'll I'll say this though you know in Sonnenstein's defense the strike zone on Tuesday night sucked um, you go back and yes. you go back and look at yeah, that yeah. Uh, you know the Brooks baseball data the strike zone was a postage stamp I, I don't think you know Tomlin was getting some favorable calls but Sonnenstein you know, because he was having trouble hitting his spots earlier in counts you know Dale Scott wasn't doing him any favors later in the count and there were several times in fact his last two if you go back and look at his last two at bats I forgot who they were against he threw nine pitches seven of them were strikes according to the pitch data but only two of them were called strikes and we're talking things that were these weren't close pitches these some of these were right over the plate and and he wasn't getting any favors so you know he wasn't getting that many faults it just for me i he was slinging somebody 70 percent cutters i mean somebody wrote the article i forgot uh, who wrote the end game review yeah, on that. That was me, actually. yeah 70 percent cutters yeah. it's just that's not a good pitch for him uh and he, he threw it all the time so that's why he was 84 85 all game long and, and these guys were hitting them good i mean there's some of those long foul balls hafner's uh, you know, near home run that went about 600 feet, uh, one of those types of things. So it just it kind of worries me going against Baltimore because, again, they see him extremely well, and they'll, and that's a team that's a lineup that's made for you know, that kind of mash pitching, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my thing with Sonnenstein is just like you're saying, Jason. I don't know. I watching him on uh, Tuesday, I guess it was. He looked like a very different pitcher than he was in the past. I mean, his he always succeeded on this command, and he mixed his pitches well, and the cutter was never his big thing when he was succeeding well. And so for him to be throwing it that much again, I mean, he did it a bit last year, and we were hoping to move away from it when we saw it wasn't working. And, and um, it's just, he doesn't look like the same pitcher he was when he had his success in the majors. He was throwing lots of pitches over the plate. Maybe it was a result of him not getting those calls and everything, but it was just... It was uh, like those, some of those foul balls were really close and really deep. I thought, I mean, he could have easily let up even more runs than they did and been chasing the game earlier. Just a couple of things. People had timed things a bit better. Um, so 
I know it's a small sample, but I, I'm really hesitant about giving him another start. I'd like to. I'd feel better if he had looked more like the old Andy Sonstein, but I feel like it's been too many years, too many times out now that he's kind of been the same pitcher. And if he doesn't really change, I don't, I don't know what spot he really fills on the raise right now. It was, um, you know, one of the things that made him successful in the past, as you said, mixing up his pitches, that, that big loopy curveball that he had, he throw that around, be able to change speeds. When I was trying to look for the silver lining on Tuesday about the start, when you go back and look at um, how the Indians do against certain types of pitches, they are not a very good team against curveballs and changeups, and we saw that today in the start with James Shields. And so I was a bit surprised how little Sonnenstein went to those pitches, because a curveball is, is still a pretty good pitch for him when he used it, but I, I think want to say he threw six or seven of them Thompson that start something like that he only threw a handful of other pitches it was like 50 some odd cutters and then five or so of curveballs and a handful of others but it was very small in comparison yeah well and then that problem also goes back to the strike zone where if you don't get ahead then you kind of have to throw your fastball your two seam or the cutter and you can't really throw the curveball mm. yeah it's uh um, I'm sorry go ahead I think we can all basically agree then that uh, if Andy just doesn't throw strikes, then he's not going to be successful. He's one of those pitchers who he can't get in a 3-0 count and expect to have a good result at the end of it because he's not going to blow a fastball by a guy for three straight pitches. So I don't know. I mean, uh, still, though, we've seen one start from him, and I feel like he should at least get one more, maybe another one after that before we really start thinking about Alex Cobb, because I'm not sure exactly how the service time thing works, but if Alex Cobb comes up within a week or two, I mean, he's only 23. Is that right? Yeah, 23, 24, maybe uh, at the oldest. So we'd we'd be saying goodbye to him at like age 27 in the middle of his physical peak. So, I mean, maybe a little bit later. I'm not sure exactly how that would uh, how the timing on that would work out. But still, I mean, it's not preferable, I think. I think the the optimal situation would be if, if Sonnenstein could give us five to six starts or however many we need for Jeff Neiman to get back on track. I actually really disagree with that. I think, I mean, this is the extra 2% team, right? If Alex Cobb is better than Andy Sonnenstein, then he should be starting. You're not going to ruin his development with a few starts at the major league level. And the service time thing, there's there's pitchers behind Alex Cobb that are, you would think, are going to be better starters. So Cobb might be one of the guys that gets pushed out of the rotation. So with a guy like Cobb, I'm not sure how worried that we have to be about a service. Sure. Time. I mean, we're also we also have no guarantee that this you know this arb- this arbitration super two process is going to stick around past a new collective bargaining agreement. Good uh, yeah. You know, with this with the whole Eric Cosper promotion uh, by the Royals, I mean that's a five to fifteen million dollar move, uh, depending how good Hosmer is uh, in his first three years. So there's no guarantee that that process is going to be in place. Uh, you know, you saw the Braves call up uh, Julio uh, Tehran to make one start and immediately sent him back down. Uh, but you know, uh, Pineda's been up all year. Some some, some of these teams that have traditionally been very stingy with some of these moves are making these moves, leading me to think that you know teams are pretty confident that this whole process is going to change. Uh, but as Kevin just said, you know, there is a lot of pitching in this team, in this organization, with guys behind uh, Torres and Cobb, and you know with the draft, there's going to be even more pitching coming in. So eventually, at some point, you got to start using these guys. And you know, I don't know if you guys caught it the other day, uh, Jonah was on 10:10 with Toby David. I think it was. When, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday and uh, you know 
Jota was laying the wood, uh, basically, you know, saying Andy Sonnenstein should never, ever start another game for the Rays again, shouldn't be on this roster again. You know, it just going down, this this team is three bats short. It needs to be doing better. It's not going, you know, this and that. I mean, he was, and the first caller afterwards, like, oh, my God, I thought Jonah was a smart guy. And I was like, no, Jonah was just being a realist. You know, it's not all rose-colored glasses with this team sometimes. But, you know, I, I'm with him, and it sounds like Kevin is, and uh, Kevin is as well. As you know, I really don't want to see the guy on top of the bump I, I i like him in his long relief role uh, and whatnot but if, if there was an organization i saw chris young went down with the mets the other day you know andy sonnenstein deserves a chance to start just not with this club anymore i've been i've been hesitant with cobb i mean kevin you know better than i have in terms of like his development how much would be affected in him coming up and everything um obviously Rays would know this better and he's only pitched a handful of innings at triple a right now and so that's that's kind of my main hesitancy with with it all with the move um but i would ra- much rather see him than andy and even if we did figure that the super two somehow did stick around in the future and Cobb did rack up some service time there's no saying that we couldn't call him up for a month while neiman is down he racks up 30 days of service time or something and then just next year I mean, he spends a little bit more time in the beginning of the season. Kind of like what we're doing in, with Desmond Jennings right now. Again, it's not optimal, but you can leave him down next year for a little bit longer to get that extra year of service time if, if need be. But I absolutely agree, and I think next year there's not really going to be an opening for Cobb at the major league level if you figure that Jeff Neiman comes back and you figure if they don't trade anybody, which it doesn't seem... Well, I'll throw this out there. Do you guys think that the team will hang on to Shields after this year or not? I mean, it's a great it's a great segue into you know the, the rosterbation uh, segment that we had here. Uh, this is where it really gets interesting because you know Shields has some very affordable options. Uh, you know, they ob- obviously when the season started, when the club was going one and eight, everybody want, was already looking to trade away Shields and Upton. Um, but you know now that the team is where it's where it's at, it would it would be you know a mayhem around here if the team was still hanging around two games of two or three games of the playoffs in mid July and all of a sudden Shields is shipped out um, with that. I think you know because he's still affordable next year his options around seven and a quarter million for next year um yeah me personally i think he's still here next year uh bradley steve what do you guys think well i'd like to see him here next year shields has been one of my favorite players since uh since he first started pitching for the Rays back in what geez i was like 2006 2007 Mm -hmm. and i mean he is one thing that as a is a really high-priced commodity in baseball and that is a pitcher who stays durable and goes over 200 innings almost every year even last year when he had an era in the fives he was over 200 innings that's really uncommon uh very few staffs are able to have guys that can stay healthy like that and can pitch well enough to do that so i mean even if he's not pitching uh you know ace quality like he is this year for the rest of his contract he's still an incredibly valuable pitcher but then again you come back to the the issue the rays have a very limited budget can can he bring more back in return so i mean it's really tough it's tough to say i would love for the rays to keep him though for sure i think part of it might come down to what we're seeing with jeff neiman this year um he's had some injury issues the past couple years um this year this season has not been off to a great start and I mean it's so early you know no idea how he could do over the rest of the year same with Shields really but um but if Neiman comes back and isn't quite uh great or if he continues to have injury issues and I, it's one of those things that's a, that could be an opening in the rotation right there just from Jeff Neiman being needs to move to a different role or not being durable enough to, to be another starter uh to be a starter maybe shipping him out instead um 
wouldn't bring as much back in return, obviously, as shields, but uh, it's kind of a cost-benefit thing. And shields is definitely the better starter, I would say, at this point. And even if he costs a bit more, he is still definitely the uh, much better commodity and still reasonably priced. Right. I mean, there, so um, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. Go for it. I was basically. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say. I mean, there were there were concerns about Neiman's health when he was drafted. Uh, you know, there was uh, rumblings about his elbow being about five years older than the rest of his body, uh, kind of thing. And you know, here we are after this year, he's arbitration eligible. Um, you know, and. Frankly, uh, you know, again, small sample size, but over the last 80 innings, this has been a, a seven-plus ERA pitcher whose FIP has been over five. So it's not like he's getting unlucky; he's just getting killed. Um, you know, and if this if this issue with this with this back, um, you know, if it lingers, they're saying a couple of weeks. Uh, but if this is one of those things that stretches out, if you try to trade him again, you're going to get pennies in the dollar. But this there's a logjam coming up behind him. The Cobb and Torres, and then you've got you know, um, if Archer gets his control straightened out. You've obviously got Matt Moore's off to a really good start, so there's a, a wave coming behind him. Uh, so there's not one of these things where you're just going to hang on to the guy because you know he's cheap. Uh, you know, eventually you got to produce or move on. And you, you, with uh, that's kind of where Edwin Jackson. I'm writing an article tonight for ESPN 1040 tomorrow about you know Jackson and, and Joyce trade. But with Jackson, he was here, he was affordable, and yet they made a decision to move him because he wasn't producing, and they had to make room for somebody. Well, Jackson also was coming up on arbitration, so he wasn't going to be affordable for very long. That is the difference there with Shields is that he's still got that team-friendly contract. He's going to be at a discount, even though he's not going to be necessarily cheap for the next couple of years. Um, but, uh, you know, Neiman, I feel like if Neiman does a rehab start or two and is still getting blown up, they're going to say there's some other injury problem issue and so they'll they'll be able to expand the what was originally back soreness into basically keeping him on the dl until he's able to get back to what we want and hope from him but boy i mean he is he is a very tough tough egg to to crack that's it's going to be a tough issue. Yeah, I mean, if you look, if you think back to last year when he went on, when he and Davis went on the DL at the same time with, uh, I think both of them had a shoulder tightness. So it was what they called it. Uh, you know, when he came back, he was awful. Uh, yeah, he had one good start at the very end of, of the season, but he came back his first three starts coming off the DL were just bad. I mean, we I think we can all remember uh, Dwayne Stats and Kevin Kennedy talking about all those moving pieces on a six nine frame. You know, trying to get yeah. them all back in tune at the same time, uh, kind of thing. So uh, it's, it's one of those things to watch and. You I'll leave this factoid with James Shields. James Shields is scheduled to make $7 million next year um, with a club option. That's a, that's a million and a quarter less than what Edwin Jackson's getting paid this year. Uh, so that's, that's what the White, the White Sox are paying Edwin Jackson, $8.25 million this year. Shields is making 4.25, and next year he makes seven, which is still less than what Edwin Jackson's making. So it's <laughs> yeah, one of those finances, Andrew Friedman, job well done uh, with that. <laughs> um, you know, other roster, uh, other roster base, and stuff brandon guyer you know you know we were lucky enough to get an interview with him we get the interview back he sent me the questions on saturday night i put the story up sunday morning thinking i might want to hold it until monday for more traffic purposes and then he gets demoted like two hours after i <laughs> after i made the decision it was i don't know about you but that one was kind of puzzling for me because you know a right-handed bat in the outfield has been sorely needed as we've seen sam fold go like six for his last 60 um you know having to play every single day uh and, and such i I was just I was rather surprised by the move um, again going with a 12 man bullpen that we're not using uh, sorry 12 man staff but a seven man bullpen that we're not fully utilizing even though we've got seven guys there well I think I think to a degree first of all I'm not a, a 
opponent of Sam Fold playing every day necessarily. I feel like his minor league splits, his platoon splits were relatively neutral, and I don't think that's going to be something that, that bothers him too much. And if you look over the last, like, 15, 20 games, he had a BABIP in the 100s, mm-hmm. maybe uh, high zeros, basically. So, you know, he, he'd been unlucky these past few weeks, and it's not like he'd been hitting the ball in, you know, nothing but pop-ups or anything like that. He, he'd been hitting the ball the way he hit it before. He just wasn't catching the holes. So I don't, you know, I'm not totally against him getting more playing time. Um, but I think the uh, the bullpen move was actually perhaps in uh, in deference to the fact that Andy Sonnenstein was starting and the Rays were sort of antsy about him starting. And if that is the case, then I think that that may be a sign that Alex Cobb isn't too far away. But if that's not the case, if they just called him up because they feel like they, they need that extra bullpen guy to sit there for weeks at a time, then it is very puzzling. Well, I think it also might be sort of a short-term thing because um, against Baltimore, Neiman – or not Neiman uh, – Wade Davis and Jeremy Hellickson both only won five innings, so I could see how there was a little bit of a need. Mm. Yeah, there's, that's been one of those control issues lately. It's been kind of strange. I mean, Shields obviously righted the ship, and Price did last night when he, he didn't walk anybody in his eight innings of work. But, you know, back to me, look at Davis, you look at Hellickson, you look at Sonnenstein, there was a lot of walks. I believe 26 is what Stern fan uh, counted up, uh, 26 walks at 11 in the game Tuesday night. Uh, a couple of them were intentional, but still, I mean, 26 walks is 26 walks, and how the Rays only lost Tuesday night's game 5-4 to four despite 21 base runners uh, is, you know, a testament to being being able to pitch in the clutch, I guess, because, you know, Cleveland was one for 13 with runners in scoring position hitting. I have no idea how that game was in something like 12 to four. That was such a typical Tampa Bay and Cleveland game, right? The Rays would score a run and then give it right back, strand some runners. It was just all those years of losing in Cleveland. This game was just exactly like this. None of those games in Cleveland ever make me. I mean, I don't care what the game is. Like even today, you know, after you know Shields gave his home run, then there was another hard hit. I'm like, oh god, here we go again. Uh, because I, I, every time I watch these games in Cleveland, I, I need to wait until that last out happens because it's always been something crazy. Now the Rays are. Uh, let's see. They were two and eighteen in their last twenty going into the series. So now they are four of their last twenty one playing in progressive field, uh, which is just an ungodly number. I think it's, uh, of, of all the places they play, I think it's their worst one-loss record of any park in the American League. And to circle the uh, discussion back to the outfit a little bit, uh, what did you guys think of Sam Fold in center field? Uh, well, except for the uh, the play on Orlando Cabrera's uh, that should have been really ruled a single and then an error just based on judgment, um, I thought it was all right. What about the rest of you? Yeah. I think I think he can do it. He's shown in the corners that he has the range and he has the the, the flexibility to do it. I saw was it was it yesterday? I think he had he, there was one ball recently that he did a really had a really poorly run route that was kind of left baffled at. Um, every now and then he kind of has a clunker, but for the most part he uh, I feel like he runs good routes. He has obviously really good range, and that's really the biggest things for center field. He can I think he can do it. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him out there on occasion. I don't, I don't really want him starting out there again a lot of time, but yeah, I think that clunker, yeah. I think that clunker came last night on, I think it was Orlando Cabrera double that was kind of off the base of the wall. And he, he turned like three yeah, different yeah, directions was, trying to, yeah, trying to look for it. And then also I feel like if, if we're calling on Sam fold to play every day in center field, then something in our minor league system has gone terribly wrong because I feel like we have options in, in Geyer and Jennings. If we really, you know, want to, want to have a center field for the, the long run. 
But I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like also Sam Fold could play any position. He does have that range. And one of the things that we don't get to see is practices. And we don't see how these guys are, you know, reading balls and, and looking at them because we get such a small sample. We get nine innings and they don't even hit the ball at them every time. So we really, one game is so hard to, to judge a player off of. Even though the amount of fielding we've seen Sam Fold, we still can't really say for sure how good a fielder he is. I think we can say comfortably he's a good fielder, but we don't know whether he's, you know, Carl Crawford elite or if he's, because I mean, to me, it seems like he gets the ball out faster and throws a little bit better than, than Carl Crawford. So he could be just as good, but I don't know. It's hard to say. Defense is one of those, those tricky, hard to tell things. Yeah. I mean, it, it always doesn't always come down to athleticism. I mean, we'll recall if you look at Desmond Jennings last year, as athletic as he is, he did not look comfortable playing right field at all last year when he got stuck out there uh, in September. There was several times where he looked like a wide receiver going back to field some fly balls. Uh, you know, it was, I was frankly a bit disappointed in how he looked out there but you know he's a natural center fielder he's been asked to play a few different positions uh, within the organization it'll be interesting when you know once he comes up where they plan on using him um, throughout the season to see where that goes but there's I mean there's plenty of talent if Geyer and Jennings both come up in June uh, that gives you you know basically there's not a there's not a poor defensive outfielder anywhere in on the roster for for one of the first times in a long time how do you think uh, six outfielders would fit on the roster if they if you figure they you know counting Zobris is I guess half an outfielder but if the, I fig, I have to figure if they call if they have Jennings and Geyer up that one of the first basemen and I know we're going to talk about Kochman later mm-hmm. but I think you know two first basemen is, is kind of redundant oh I, I completely agree with you I mean we can go ahead and segue to that now but you know if, if you bring up Geyer and Jennings uh, along with you know full Upton and Joyce there's your five outfielders there's no reason for Zobers to be out in right field much anymore because he's only really out there against left-handed pitching uh, you know and we've got two left-handed first basemen one that's you know performing out of his mind and the other one that you know, we're running out of we're not trying to defend the guy, but, you know, we're running out of logic here. We really have nothing else as crazy as Casey Kochman's season's been. Dan Johnson's season, he's kind of being set up for failure. He's only playing against left handed pitching and the left handed pitchers he's seeing are pretty damn tough left handed pitchers. So it's like he's being set up for failure. And you know, the fact that he didn't even play today against Justin Masterson, they had Elliot Johnson in the lineup today playing second base when they could have, you know, worked it around and had and had. Uh, Dan Johnson in there so it's like it's pretty telling that the guy's not getting any playing time it looks a lot like when you know in uh, Hank Blaylock's final days here Pat Burrell's final days here it kind of looks like that's what Dan Johnson's running up against right now I don't know why Dan Johnson didn't get the start today just to go back on that Jason but with Justin Masters in with his huge ground ball split in case of Casey Koshman being such a ground ball hitter. That just seemed like the obvious don't play Koshman against this guy. Uh, did you not watch the game? I'm sorry, oh. but he had two hits today. <laughs> I know, I know. So but, uh, I know you're just looking at the spreadsheets, but Casey Koshman is real. <laughs> And he's Imagine magic. Kochman. He hit well, he hit one near the warning track today too. So uh, That's right. It was almost a homer, except it was a pop fly that landed for a hit. Yeah, he is. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. I mean, as you know, we've all taken beatings because we've we've tried to be realist with him, and you know, people want to call us haters, you know, whatever. I mean, we're just trying to set the expectation because what people have seen Sam Fold go through in the last ten days is coming for Kochman. I don't care, uh, you know, what people want to want to think. When you look at first baseman with fifty plus percent ground ball rates, 
every one of them have a BABIP of 260 or lower, uh, except for Casey Kotchin, who's now like 378. Uh, and you look at the any any anybody who's got a high ground ball rate. You know, RJ had a tweet about it today. Like Alcides Escobar, Hanley Ramirez, you know, all these fast guys, Ichiro, with high ground ball rates. And then there's Casey Kotchman. So it's like, you know, obviously we are out of logical reasons to explain why this guy, every time he hits a line, drives, falls safely into play. I mean, nobody made He's like 15 for 15 in hitting line drives safely into play. So, it's just, so we can't find logical ways. Let's just like have some fun and find some illogical ways. What in the hell is this guy? What has he done behind the scenes to do this? Well, you know, well, I that's, think a lot of ahead, a lot of Kochman fans are going crazy about the uh, the eye surgery thing that he got pus out of his eyes or something. It's really creepy. Um, and you know, sometimes that stuff can actually be a legitimate change in a major league player's career. Uh, but in all honesty, that's such a that's like a one percent chance that that'll change. And if it's changed for Kochman, it hasn't changed any of his peripheries. It's just changed his BABIP. So it somehow made him better at aiming his hits. And it's I don't know. It's it's really frustrating because I feel like the Rays continue to take a gamble on this guy because I mean today he had two strikeouts. He had that pop fly that should have been an out, but it got lost in the sky. He had a, a decent line drive hit, but I mean. Every day that he's in the starting lineup, it's them throwing the dice. And, you know, they're putting him only out there against righty, so that, that's helping him out a little bit. But at the same time, it's it's frustrating because it feels like, I don't know, Dan Johnson's not getting a, a fair shot. And so, I mean, to a degree, why not? He's – Kochman's really hot for some reason. Just whatever. I, uh, I just can't well, I th- even – I think the silver lining here is that Johnson started so bad that if you want to play the hot hand and see how long you can go with Kochman, you could probably get – Dan Johnson through waivers at this point, don't you think? Oh yeah, I definitely yeah. think. I definitely think he would be able to slide through waivers. I mean, Felipe Lopez did. Uh, you know, pretty much anybody that this club has ever DFA'd has has gone through waivers. Uh, and with that, and you know, I get before I go back to get Kevin to get Bradley's point. That whole story about the eye thing that yeah, that kind of crap pisses me off because that story never sees the light of day if Casey Kochman's hitting 160 like Dan Johnson is exactly. right now. It's like they're trying to look why is he doing so well instead of you know looking at. Uh, insane line drive batting averages on balls in play. Let's look at some eye surgery that he had last year. Meanwhile, as you said, none of his other results have changed, but somehow this magical pus being cleared out of his eyes has, <laughs> has turned him into, you know, the second, coming of, of, the second coming of Tony Quinn where everything he hits falls into play. Kevin, back to you. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to say, that I think the best thing for Dan Johnson now is to play every day, and that's obviously not going to happen right now with yeah. how he's I mean, he just lost at the plate the few times he did get up in the Cleveland series. And I think part of it is definitely because he's he doesn't have a chance to get into a rhythm. So if you send him to Durham, and he has, you know, has a history of mashing international league pitching, so you hope he can get back into his groove. And then when, and that's not if, when Kochman starts to regress, you can, you can call up Dan Johnson again. I mean, I think uh... – I think Dan Johnson would also have the right. I think I think he does at this point of his career to you know decline the option if somebody sends him down. But again, that would that would be you know assuming that somebody's going to take pick him up right now. And uh, you know first base at the major league level is not terrible for other teams. I and mean, other teams even you know even Houston, Brett Wallace is raking the ball everywhere else they're hitting. And obviously down in, in Durham and in AAA, Leslie Anderson's not doing squat. I think he's hitting 205 and uh, you know slapping singles and ground balls that aren't finding holes. Uh, so that's what he's doing so i mean i'd agree with you take the chance we've got being the first roster move is going to happen here soon jp Howell's due back um 
about a week from now, uh, less than a week from now. They're saying after the Yankees series, or maybe even within the Yankees series, J.P. Howell's coming back. So a roster move is going to have to happen here in a couple of days. I maybe I'm. I don't know. I don't see Dan Johnson getting demoted anytime soon. Possibly, I guess. I, I mean, I'm sure he could clear through and everything. But my thing is, the Rays have almost always carried two first basemen on their roster, or carried a backup first baseman, someone that could play the corners, you know, like a Willie Ibar sort of person. Um, Joe Dillon. Sh- yeah, Joe Dillon. <laughs> somebody that someone, <laughs> even as useless as they may be, just to have the extra backup for the corner sort of positions, and. I mean, sure, they have enough flexibility they could get by with just having Cochran on the roster and with, uh, like, he's Ben Zobris as a backup or something. But I, I have a, I don't know, I have a feeling that, well, a hope, I guess, more than anything, that the Rays would realize themselves that, you know, this isn't for real for Cochran. We're playing a hot streak and we're getting lucky and we're going with it while we can. But uh, this isn't going to last forever, and we should, he shouldn't be the only first base we have in our roster. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't want Ben Zobris playing first base for extended period of time. He's so much more valuable elsewhere. Yeah, Johnny Damon, um, first baseman's glove. That, that, that I would be all right with, get Damon over there. I feel like he could uh, – that would be interesting to see what he could do. I mean, he did it. He did it uh, six different games in Detroit, um, or even before that. He's done it six times in his career. I remember looking that up, uh, where he's done it a few times. So uh, it would be, you know, interesting to see him him do that. But I agree with you. I mean, they're not going to carry one. And, I, and obviously, you know, a lot of the success that Conchman's had is because he hasn't had to face lefties. And when he has, he's looked horrific. Uh, so yeah. you know, there's they've been able to set him up for success as much as you know, Sonnenstein pitching four times in four weeks. Dan Johnson getting in a bat every, you know, one game a week and against guys like Zabchinsky and Lester, you know, those types of things. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what they can do. Obviously, there's nothing else within the organization. This is what they are stuck with uh, for first base. So they're going to have to do it from within unless they go out uh, and look at the trade solutions. As we had an article uh, on the site uh, this morning, Bradley, I think you wrote that one. Um, yeah. yeah, about the uh, the first base solutions. Brandon, you know, Brandon Allen, Russell Brandon in Arizona, uh, you know, Keila Kaihui in Kansas City those types of guys if something can be worked out uh may's just not one of those months for trades in baseball it just doesn't happen that often and you know mm-hmm. the way the parody is in the league this year apparently everybody seems to think they're in it um and nobody's <laughs> willing to really move resources and it's it just one of those crazy things where like the reds i uh, you in, in the article yonder alonzo was mentioned i mean the guy is stuck in triple a his skills are still there uh solid skills he's never going to play left field or third base in cincinnati because he just can't do it defensively um and yet he's stuck there so it's one of these things you'd you'd hope to see that the front office is able to get something done because i completely agree with you this has been a roll of the dice it's been they keep hitting you know they keep avoiding hitting craps but eventually they're going to throw a seven and they're going to throw an 11 and we're going to be out of luck here I really think this might be one of the uh, the years of the Rays are most active at the trade deadline. Like some of the most they've been in a couple of years. So they've they've talked about it and they've tried acquiring people recently. It just never happened. But I see this year as I mean there are so many pieces that could get moved for the Rays. There's so many holes in the roster potentially, and um, there's so much potential room that they I mean could be doing something to bring in a first baseman or to trade B.J. Upton um, for younger talent or to trade a James Shields or Jeff Neiman or um, and there's going to be teams that are going to buy. There's always teams that are buying at the deadline. You get some really good deals that way. That's how the Rays built a lot of their team initially by trading away in 2006 and 2007, all these guys in the trade deadline. Um, so I'm hoping we're moving lots of people. Uh, that's, 
Yeah. <laughs> well, there are a lot of buyers, and that's definitely something the Rays would do, where they see if you know if there's not many sellers, and where a seller, then our whatever our commodities are a lot more valuable then. Yeah, so, I mean, my thing is we, we've seen since the Rays have become a very competitive team, every trade deadline we've all gotten our hopes up, and three years straight we've been left with nothing. Um, you know, the whole Jason Bay fiasco of 2008, that was there, but, you know, the only moves basically adding Greg adding Greg's on uh, one year and then, you know, trading away Scott Casimir. But any action this team has done has always come after the deadline. And we never know. I mean, we're never going to know what kind of talks happen up to the deadline because the team's never mm-hmm. going to go on record about it. I mean, you know they're trying to do something, but to what level, to what extent, who knows. Uh, but, you know, it, if, if history is any indicator of what's going to happen, I'm very pessimistic that a, a trade will happen and that they're just going to stay within as they've always done. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested to see how, where we are at come the trade deadline or even just another month. Cause right now we're in first place, which is amazing, especially when you consider the state of our roster right now. I mean, we're playing Casey Cashman all the time where Sam Foles are starting left fielder. It's just, it's kind of baffling how many, how weak this roster is in a lot of ways, and yet how good the team has been. Um, I, I'm, I try to kind of squint to this team and and not, um, uh, not waiting for the other shoe to drop or anything, but and hoping it won't. But um, we'll see. I mean, if if things fall apart or they're they're the roster catches up with them and they may have to make some moves beforehand to try and stay in the stay in the thing even earlier. Right. I mean, this, I mean, let's be honest though. This roster has all the makings of a, of, of a B lineup in spring training some nights. Uh, and you know, and, and especially at home, they actually hit like a B lineup. Some, you know, this, this home offensive issue uh, has been problematic, but it, it is what it is. And you know, the, they get in the lineup, you look at it today again. Like you said, Fold and, and Kochman and you know Shop hitting against uh, Justin Masterson. I think that Elliot Johnson. Yeah, Elliot yeah. Johnson in lineup that that screams that and that was you know frustrating. And then watching Casey Kochman get picked off on a fake you know, fake the third, throw to first kind of thing. Yeah, you know, I think we all, when you see that move, you're like, oh, God, who falls for that? Oh, God, he fell for that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it is, you know, it was just kind of funny to watch it happen because I can't, I, I think Scott Pesednik got nailed last year when he was with uh, Toronto or whoever it was. I think he got nailed on it last year. But honestly, I can't remember another guy that's ever been called on that, uh, busted on that play. It seems like it's always done. You know, he, the pitcher fakes it. Everybody boos the pitcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you keep going on. But, you know, when Kochman got nailed on that, I was like, Wow. Um, it's the magic of cock. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, speaking of pickoffs, James Shields nailed two more guys today. Um, now he's got five on the year. He's tied with Brett Anderson and uh, Carl Pavano, according to Baseball Reference. Um, however, they Baseball Reference at MLB.com, their pickoff stats are a little different. I don't understand why. But, you know, according to Baseball Reference, Pavano, Anderson, and Shields now all have five. And the Rays, as a team, now have ten pickoffs, which is more than they had all of last year. Um, and you know, they had 27 combined from 2008 to 2010 and now they have 10 uh so i you know i did an article the other day talking about the whole another way thing maybe this is what they're doing to control the running game since john jaso throws about a runner out every two weeks and you know shot picks about one a week uh this is, seems what they're doing because davis move looks more crisp and shields moves become a, a deadly tool these guys really don't know what's coming at them 
Mm -hmm. One of the things I've been wondering, and I'm not sure if there's statistics out there on this or not, but are they doing more attempts as well, more pickoff attempts? You know, I've been able to – I've looked for that. I have been able to find that. I did look at, you know, stolen base attempts and how often guys are on first base. And we had one of the threads that we were talking about, you know, stolen base opportunity uh, with one of the other uh, posters uh, about it. But there's no more attempts this year than any other year. So people aren't there more frequently. So we're not seeing more pickoffs because guys are at first base more often. They're at first base just as often as they've always been. But Mm -hmm. I haven't been able to find a stat, a way to count how many times they're throwing over. But there is a definite, you know, they are throwing over more. I remember Hickey doing some kind of spring training interview. Maybe it was on MLB radio or something. I know that um, uh, Mike Farron and them went down and spent some time at Port Charlotte. And I believe they were uh, down there during that. And he gave an interview saying, yeah, we're working on things more, throwing over, throwing over with a purpose, you know, those kind of things. Um, but you can see the results so far. And I think with James Shields, uh, you know, if he would have had this kind of move last year, it certainly would have helped out some of his problems now. But you know, he, he got two today leading off uh, leading off first. And he got one of the Cabreras leading off second. Uh, never got tagged. But, you know, Elliot Johnson did a good job of selling that one. Uh, but it's been, you know, another deadly weapon for him. And it's definitely helped getting him out of a couple of jams. And that's one of the interesting things because I'm, I'm told and what I understand is that the pickoff move is one of the last things that they teach you in, in AAA. And so it's, it's one of the last things that you're working on. Maybe it is something that guys get to the major leagues and it is something that they can still refine. So maybe this is a way the Rays can make their pitchers more efficient without actually really, you know, using performance enhancing drugs or anything else, you know? I mean, it's definitely it's it's definitely something that's taught more at, you know, more in the you know, minor leagues because think about it, a lot of these guys were studs in high school. They were lucky if they had two guys on base a game so they really exactly, weren't worried yeah. about you know the guys like oh my god i finally got on base here so uh pickoff moves it's, it's just like the change up most of these guys don't have a change up and can't do a pickoff move because they never needed either uh in high school i know when i i stopped pitching after high school but um i wasn't good enough where i didn't have to worry about guys on base but i remember you know fo- actually practicing a, a pickoff move and whatnot because i did have guys getting on base um mm-hmm. but you, know, you could if you just watch these games i think that's another thing for you know people listening here to watch during the games watch how wade did this weekend watch jeremy hellickson watch wade davis you know watch how they're paying attention to these runners on base and and seeing how often they're throwing over because it's been a factor and it's one way to you know shopping and jso are what they are they're not going to get any better than throwing out runners but if you can keep those guys that much closer to the base that extra tenth of a second you know makes a below average arm look slightly average exactly yeah and another thing that's fun to watch, I've been doing that recently. Well, actually, I haven't done this for a little bit, but um, this was mentioned in a Mark Topkin article recently, too, about the Rays' base ceiling. But take out a stopwatch and time the Rays' starters how fast they are from when they start their motion in the stretch to when the ball hits the catcher's mitt. Because it normally, I guess, uh, a good time to the plate is something like 1.2 seconds or, or faster than that. And once you hit like 1.4, 1.3, then you're starting to hit the time where you're giving the runner too much time. It seems like such a small amount of time, just that tenth of a second, but that's too much time to give the runner too much of a head start, and that's on the pitcher entirely. I guess Neiman was apparent is apparently. I mean, we all seen he has a really slow movement. Um, he was more close to the one fours, mm-hmm. and um, the Rays are trying to get him to bring that down, but instead of necessarily messing with his mechanics or trying to screw with him too much, he can try and compensate by by doing the pickoff moves and, and instead. So I, I haven't timed all the race stars. I know the article, the Top Gun article I mentioned, he, he said that the Rays in general are a little bit slower to the plate than they'd like to be, and they're trying to work on that. Uh, but I'm not sure I haven't timed out the individual starters. I feel like that'd be interesting to take a look at. 
That is actually, I remember uh, a couple of years ago when Neiman was first, uh, I think it might have been uh, two years ago, one year ago when Neiman was first getting a, a full-time role, uh, he was struggling with runners on base. I don't think I've looked at that data recently, but I wouldn't be surprised if that might actually have something to do with it. Him trying to speed up to the plate causes him to... Uh, mess with his mechanics and and like we were saying earlier i mean he's got he's got a lot of mechanics going on so i mean it, it that's a very interesting thing uh and that might actually spell doom for neiman faster if he can't get something like that sorted out i mean helixson was like that a little bit last year if you remember his starts helixson when he was pitching with nobody on base was just nails and then when he had guys on base when he's pitching out of the stretch uh that's when yeah. that's when he was giving up his home runs you know his his numbers were dramatically different again in a small sample size and whatnot but his numbers were dramatically different uh but you know coming into the series baltimore and, and new york are coming into town first time we actually get to face the uh face the yankees this year in mid-may uh first trip down with baltimore's first and this whole running game really doesn't uh, uh, you know factor in well with them because you know brian roberts runs but he's about the only guy on baltimore that's running i, I looked at it mm-hmm. last week and baltimore has has one of the lowest stolen base attempt rates in all of baseball it's somewhere around four percent they just aren't running buck Showalter is i guess he found earl weaver's old playbook and he's, he's going to get two guys on base into three run home run um unfortunately they're just <laughs> he likes the sack bunts actually oh man this is doing those a lot recently. please don't get yeah. me started on these bunts i am I, evan longoria bunting today may have been the dumbest thing joe madden's ever done period i don't know if that was on i don't know if that was on longoria it was it was a self-call but to see longoria bunt i don't care if all four infielders are laying down taking naps on the infield evan longoria <laughs> should never bunt <laughs> but, um yeah but with the uh, that's that's what buckshaw walter is doing and yeah, it was you know tobby and i were reflecting over this on uh, over i am uh, over the weekend when we were sweeping baltimore there because you know we worked games one and three together in the press box and i I'm, I'm telling you this i mean some of the baltimore people were downright laughing at how the rays were playing and the attendance i mean downright they had this little swagger in their step you know we're three and oh i mean there's like 500 people here in the stands and they were just almost downright laughing at how the rays were playing in that weekend you know that's why i, I took some extra joy in you know the rays spanking the orioles up in camden yards this weekend <laughs> way they did because i mean tommy and i when we sit up there our seats are right next to the visiting people so that's what we have to hear the whole time and it was like i was getting really annoyed so it was like you know it took some pleasure in that but here comes baltimore back it seems like this is about the fifth different series we've played against the orioles uh, already but i believe it's the third or the fourth something crazy like that uh, but yeah, it's a, a lot of series here come the orioles again uh what were your impressions of the orioles uh, this past weekend they just didn't really get on base at all and they had been struggling with that for a while they got off to the hot start but then after that obviously they lost uh, Brian Mattis and the, the pitching hasn't been great but their offense just went at the tank Nick Marcakis didn't really hit Vlad Guerrero didn't really hit Derek Lee got off to a, sl- a slow start mm-hmm. and obviously they went you know them in Seattle with 111 scoreless innings tonight so I don't know if it's much better so the th- the thing I would look for is that Baltimore's really not a bad team for us not to have Price and Shields to go against. Yeah, the only one start, honestly, in the series that gives me a bit of pause is the Sunday start, and that's the one that Zonstein's scheduled. Mm-hmm. Um, Jake Arrieta is scheduled for Baltimore to get going on that. And he's actually, I mean, he's always been a highly touted um, arm and everything. And he Last year, he really struggled, didn't strike many batters out, walked a lot of batters, and this year, so far, he's striking out something like eight batters per nine, only walking three per nine or something. He's, I mean, some of that is obviously just early season stuff, but um, 
but it looks like he could be taking some steps forward and he has the the pedigree to go with that so i'll be interested to kind of see what what he can bring and what i mean how the rays do against him yeah but um but yeah, go for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm right with uh, there with you. I mean, this series, they, they've got Guthrie and they've got Burgesson and they've got Arietta going. Uh, you know, Guthrie, the Rays really got to him up in Baltimore, but uh, he was he pitched opening night and Guthrie looked phenomenal. I mean, this was in, in that game because that's when I was at. What Guthrie did in that entire game was work the you know work everybody away. All left-handed batters worked them away, away and away through him. You know, change-ups that every now and then he bust them in to keep them honest, but he worked that outer third of the plate and pounded it all day long, and the Rays didn't do anything with. It. Uh, it was another one of those one run on four hit games. It was in that run, and uh, you know Burgesson, if he can keep the ball down, is effective. But he could keep the ball down over this weekend. It's just this whole lack of offense at Tropicana Field is becoming puzzling. It's turning into the Petco Park uh, of the American League, and I, it, it's weird. I mean, Johnny Damon can't hit anything at home so far. You know, Matt Joyce has been hitting out of his mind at home, but he's really the only guy on the team. You know, he and obviously you know Magic of Kochman are the only two guys that are doing anything at home. It's in rather painful to watch they've had one game of double digit hits and that was in the loss to uh you know, the angels when they batted around you know got the tyler chatwood and blew that one up um that's the only time they've been over 10 hits in a game or over nine hits in a game and it's the only time they've never had scored more than five runs so this team looks you know unstoppable on the road and they come home and and they're neutered i think they should have just again i think we said the other day go stay at the vinoy next time when they come home tonight just go right to the vinoy check in and stay there for the whole homestand <laughs> you know, I think a lot of that does come down to luck, though. Uh, you look at Matt Joyce's numbers in general. He is absolutely on fire right now, but he's also got a, a batting average of balls in play, a BABIP of something close to 400, I think. 430. So, I mean, the, yeah. he's been very lucky. That's the, There's no there's no two ways around it. He's been very lucky, but he's also he's hitting the ball exactly the way you want your lucky guys hitting it. He's, he's absolutely tattooing the ball. So, I mean, at the same time, he's he's. He's doing really well, uh, that despite his, you know, his benefiting from luck. At the same time, though, I just, I think it just comes down to random variation. The fact that we've been so bad at home, I don't think the lights or anything like that. I mean, I, I feel like we're just days away from conspiracy theories. If the Rays have two more quiet games at home, then you know, people are going to be starting to to come out with some crazy ideas, and that and that seems gratuitous to me. It's just humans were so were so prone to emotion and to, to quick judgment i think i think honestly it'll be fine it's just it's just the way it is i mean a couple of years ago we were super dominant at home now we just have a losing record at home it's just it's just the way it is sometimes i do find it interesting the trend that the the uh, the trap has had in terms of turning into a pitcher's park in recent years i don't i i don't know i i honestly would need to look into more about um, park effects and how they're calculated and all that jazz before like making a definitive statement about what's going on there. Um, it's probably just random variation and and uh, who really knows. But it has been one of the biggest pitcher parks in the American League in recent years, which is uh, surprising to me, uh, to say the least. I mean, it doesn't necessarily seem like a cavernous outfield. The center field, I guess, seems a little bit deeper than maybe some others. But um, yeah, I don't know. I. And the only real change that's happened to the trop recently has been the new turf this year. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't see that actually affecting play on balls. Maybe it slows balls down a little bit more, ground balls, mm -hmm. but it wouldn't make that huge of a difference in terms of how things are being played. I'm not really sure how they're, how they're figured either, but wouldn't the Rays increased emphasis on defense, would that have anything to do with it? 
That should because what they do is they the park factors looks at you know how you do at home, how you do on the road, and, and compares things. So it looks okay. at that. It looks over, and as in a single season, I mean, let's look at Rogers Center. Rogers Center last year obviously was a was a you know a, a pinball machine, home runs going out you yeah. know everywhere. But look back over the previous two years, they were 18th and 19th in the league in home run rate. So you know they can vary year by year. When I look at park factors, I go over a three year thing. I want to look at least three years of data to, to take out some of those crazy years uh, like. Uh, 18 and 19 and a one uh, for Rogers Center. So Tropicana Field, for the most part, has played well. It's been good for doubles and triples because you know get the ball gets to the gap quicker because it's on turf and whatnot. But it's been very neutral for singles. It's been pitcher friendly for home runs. Um, you know, it's not because of the park. It's just there's no weather factor. I mean, the the dimensions of the park are as neutral as anything else in the league. 404 to center, 370 to the gaps. You know, uh, 322 down one line, 315 down the other with the uh, with the small fence and whatnot not uh, 320 but um, you know it's just there's no weather to factor in you don't have the wind blowing out you don't have any of that kind of jazz going on um, it, it is what it is uh, but you know the seed it just when you look at how the offense performs it's it's not even like they're hitting things right at people I mean some guys are but for the most yeah. part it's just there's a lot of lazy fly balls a lot of pop-ups a lot of ground balls it's just like you, you saw the games this over this this six game road trip even if you were just casually doing work and listening to the game you heard a lot of solid contact going on and a Tropicana field you just haven't heard that same kind of solid contact coming off raised bats but even then some of that can be random variation because the difference between a pop-up and a line drive is honestly millimeters I mean, you get in a batting cage and, and you start swinging any any joe can tell you that you know you can see you can line a ball up just the way you think you can you're just like you think you can hit it and for some reason it just goes for uh, somebody laughing or doing paperwork <laughs> Somebody, I don't know. <laughs> well, anyway, you know, so even there it can be a little bit of random variation. And when you take early season numbers and then you split them in half, uh, road and home, then you, you end up with a lot of variability there. So I, I feel like it is something that's going to balance out. I do believe that the, the park does depress left-handed power. I'm not really sure how that works out. Uh, it's certainly not the catwalks because even though national media loves to talk about them, they are like one of the biggest weird non-factors in baseball. I think the, the wall in Wrigley Field – uh, has more of an effect on on people because outfielders are scared to run into it. So I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like that is one thing that that gets overblown. Um, but I, to a degree, there is there is some advantage to pitchers there, but it's not nearly as big as it's been lately. I just hope our bats pick up at home before the Yankees come into town on Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, you better bring some luck. You know, I'm one in four this year and going to games. I'm hoping that, you know, I'm going tomorrow night or tonight as you're listening to this. So I'm hoping that the Rays can pull up a win because I have uh, I'm one in four this season. I saw, you know, both home playoff. I'm sorry. I saw all three home playoff losses. Uh, so, yeah, I have uh, quite an ugly record of, uh, of attendance lately. I'm like one for my last seven. Um, so I'm hoping that turns around. And I know you're coming down for the AQ series, um, at least one of those games. I unfortunately cannot be there because I have to go to Indiana for business. Yay me. Uh, so <laughs> I have to go to Indiana and then turn around and go to uh, somewhere outside of Chicago, Tinley Park or something uh, the following week. Uh, so back on the road from my work travel with that. But, uh, yeah, a selfless offense wakes up. 
uh, this weekend. The, obviously, the pitching matchup, um, you know, Friday is a concern uh, just because of what Eric, what um, Guthrie did his first time back through here. Uh, and then Saturday, if, if you can't hit Brad Burgesson around Tropicana Field, I don't know what else <laughs> you need to do. Maybe, you know, we made a joke about the team staying at the Vinoy when they come home. Maybe Derek Shelton needs to be the road coach and have an, a different home hitting coach, you know, do something <laughs> along those lines because it's it's been really – and this dates back to last year. I mean, this home – in 08 and 09, the Rays were a very good home offense. And then and since uh, you know, in 2010 and now 2011, it's been just the exact opposite. And you can't blame that all on a change in personnel because it was most of the same personnel last year that was here in 08 and 09. Yeah. So uh, that is what it is. Um, okay, guys. Well, it's been a great show. I obviously need to plug a, a, a big thing. We've got the baseball prospectus folks uh, coming into town on June 18th. If you have not yet purchased your tickets, please go to the baseballprospectus.com and, and find the store to purchase those tickets. Um, that event's going to be on June 18th. I'm going to be one of the speakers. Uh, Kevin Goldstein's going to come in, come into town, fly down from Illinois, uh, and join us. And this is this is two weeks after the Rays draft, so obviously, you know, bring your questions about what the Rays did in the draft, and you'll be able to talk to him firsthand. Uh, you know, the Rays do have a few baseball prospectus alumni in the front office. James Click, Kyle Bloom. Um, last time they made themselves available, Andrew Friedman was in the room one time when baseball prospectus was here. So there will be some Rays front office people in so you know, if you haven't purchased your ticket uh, $30 get you that in, get you that Q&A before the game some baseline seats down the third baseline right behind the Corona Beach Club area uh, and then there's a post game concert uh, I've been told it's going to be a pretty kick ass act um, they don't have any confirmation on it I just I was uh, direct messaging the marketing director tonight asking if they had finalized that. He said they're getting close, so hopefully an announcement next week. Uh, but $30 is a sweet deal because that ticket's normally $29 face value. So for an extra dollar, you get two hours access to some baseball prospectus writers, some race front office people, and whatnot. So it's going to be a good event. Uh, it's sold out the last couple times it's been through, so make sure you get your tickets soon. Uh, guys, anything else you guys want to add and close before we wrap this up and call it a night? I would like to, to leave uh, Dan Johnson some words of comfort. Uh, to encourage him during a, a really tough time. This is uh, from Two Worlds Collide. Uh, Reba McIntyre once said, Haters in my face trying to keep me down, but you know we keep on shining. Two crazy big stars from opposite worlds about to set this track on fire. That's for you, Dan Johnson. <laughs> that was amazing, Brad. All right, Appreciate Stevie, that. are you going to bring something from Thelma and Louise here? And what do you have to say? <laughs> I was just gonna say I'm gonna be uh, yeah I'll be at the Monday and Tuesday games this this upcoming week get raise Yanks um, I'll be at Berg's pregame on Tuesday um, so if anyone is around I'll be I'll be there. Are you gonna be wearing your signature fedora so people can find you or? Yeah, that's a good point. I may have to may have to bust that out. Yeah, I'll. I, I mean, I have a plaid raise hat. May do that or maybe I'll go for the fedora. Probably that's probably a good call. Be easy to find, Kev. Uh, I just want to give a quick note to the radio stations that broadcast raise minor league games. It's 2011. Get a mobile streaming app. Oh, yes. I, I am completely with you. I mean, I was actually watching the uh, uh, the game tonight on ML, uh, MILB.com, uh, but I would love to be able to do that because I was the other night uh, before Guy, or the, the night he was called up, I actually you know had a, had a hunch he was going to be called up. I was trying to find the Durham Bulls game online to listen to while I was at work and couldn't find it. 
And I'm like, are you serious? You're a triple A market. You don't have an online stream of a game that we can listen to uh, on our smartphones, iPads, or whatever. It was it's kind of frustrating, but yeah, it's, it's off. I was trying to listen to Matt Moore start at work, and like for Montgomery's whatever station down there, you need like Microsoft Silverlight and everything. Oh, it's the worst. Come on. It's 2011. The worst. <laughs> No, that's 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 not pretty. But with that, all right, guys. Well, again, thanks for joining us this week, and uh, it's an hour has flown by already. I will uh, get this all mocked up, and we'll be uh, people will be listening to it Friday as the Orioles come to town and the first place Rays uh, get to host them. And that Go is Rays. that's some good stuff, man. Good stuff. All right, guys. Uh, thanks again for coming on, and we'll talk to you next week.